All right, we are continuing in our series this summer. We're taking some significant time to invigorate our prayer lives, and and we hope that everybody's going to emerge from this summer with some significant prayer closets being built and in place that you're going to be glad you have. Uh, I got an email from someone, I won't tell you who it is, because I didn't ask her if I could share anything from it, but... Just very encouraging. She took the moment to send me an email and just say, wanted to thank you so much and went on to some details about what we're doing in the church on prayer. Uh, She says this, I've been praying that God will turn our church into such a place and people of intercession for quite some time. I believe if we are close enough to hear the heartbeat of God on what he wants us to be praying back to him, we'll probably be getting the other things right too. I think that's just simply a reality. Personally, God led me to clear out a closet about a year and a half ago and just start spending time in prayer and communion with him in that little space. It's now covered in praise and worship prayers, scrawled on sticky notes with prayer requests in a small box and answered prayers in a bigger box and with journals that are filled with what God has been highlighting to me in scripture. It's become my favorite place in my whole house. In there, I've encountered God in ways I never knew were possible as he has revealed his character, nature, goodness, faithfulness, and love. I've traveled to 28 countries, six continents, but no adventure has been so exciting as the special moments where God has revealed himself to me more. And that is what has happened in my prayer closet. So if you want to know, that is, that is a capsule. Why do we do stuff like this in the summers? Uh, so that on the other side of this, you have something from God that you are going to absolutely love and treasure like that. That you're going to want to be near to God in your prayer closets, experiencing him. And few things could compete with that. So that's what we're doing here this morning. Just building our prayer closets. And, and we're borrowing some insights from guys in the Bible who prayed. Right, so we're calling this little series that we're doing in this category, Heroes of the Prayer Closet. Today our hero is going to be Daniel. We're going to learn from Daniel's life of prayer. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read a number of passages here that uh, probably don't make your top list of passages you've read or spent time in or even knew were in the Bible. Uh, so they're a little bit off the beaten path, but the title this morning is Pray because life is more than what meets the eye. My subtitle is The Secret Place of Prayer and the Hidden World of the Spirit. So if you've read the Bible, you've maybe you've noticed this, maybe you haven't collected these examples together. But there are little moments when God kind of pulls back the veil and lets us peek behind the world of the Spirit. There's not a ton of those moments in scripture, but there's enough of them there to accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pull back the veil. And when we're finishing, I just want us to to go into Daniel's prayer life and learn some things from him. But this is why it matters because of what we're about to see here behind the veil. So let's, let's start our tour. We're going to spend some time with Daniel and then somewhat of a contemporary of his, Zechariah, a little bit later, uh, the prophet Zechariah will be writing as well. Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. 
says, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Right? Some of your Bibles may say a messenger, but we understand this is an angelic being. I love that he calls him a watcher, and you'll see why in a moment. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. And sets over it the lowliest of men. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we are going to peek into a number of passages today. That beg a question. The prophets are going to ask that question. What is this? And what does it mean? Well, Lord, you've recorded these things. And we need your help. Spirit of God. What are these things? What do they mean? What do they mean for us? Well, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, um, Daniel chapter 4 in particular, just an extraordinary revelation in these passages. Uh, it's, it's going to land in a place where King Nebuchadnezzar, we know is, he's, he's a big bad guy. He's a bad dude in the Old Testament. And he comes and takes God's people captive and uh, get a bad reputation. There's going to be a moment when King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be dealt with by God. And when he comes out of being dealt with by God, he's going to say one of the most profound statements about God that's in all of Scripture. Towards the end of Daniel 4, you just would never think a rascal could be so theologically savvy. Well, well, God put him through a ringer uh, here. And what you're about to see is... This little revelation that Daniel gets, this, this watcher, this messenger, this spiritual being is going to show up in the realm of King Nebuchadnezzar and is going to basically cut his kingdom down. His kingdom's this great tree and he's going to strip it. He's going to bring it in, in, into a different place. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to go from the most powerful man in the world to a guy who is out in a field acting like he's a beast with dew dripping off of his hair, eating grass like a cow. That's what's going to happen on earth. Now, this is one of those moments where we get to peek behind the clouds of heaven and they get opened up and we see there's something more going on here than what meets the eye. But let's just focus on what meets the eye for a second. If you had lived in Babylon at this time, you would have known this man of of powerful influence, of intimidation, who has subdued kingdoms, 
There'd be incredible respect for him. And suddenly, news around town is going to be, this guy has lost his mind. Have you heard? The guy's out there acting like a cow. He's out in the fields. He doesn't come in at night. There's dew dripping off of him. He's eating grass. What happened to him? All right, so from an earthly standpoint, that would be your question. What happened to this guy? He snapped. He stressed out. He lost his mind. That'd be all we'd have. Except for God chose to pull back the veil and let us see into heaven just for a moment. And we get a little bit more of the story here. That's not all that happened. The guy just wasn't stressed out and freaked out. Uh, Verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. So there, there are angelic spiritual beings that are going to make a decree of something that's going to come to pass that when we see it, it's going to look like a guy's lost his mind. But that's not where it came from. There was a meeting before this happened. There was a will in heaven. A decision that had been made in heaven. It was the decision by the word of the holy ones. So there is in heaven, there's this gathering. There's a group in heaven called the holy ones. The watchers are part of this council of beings in the heavens. And what they are a part of and what they're carrying out goes on to be said, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will. That the living may know something. See, apart from this little help, this pulling back the veil, all we know is that some powerful ruler flipped out one day and started acting like a cow. That's all we know. But God was doing something so that the living may know, so that the living, so that we might know something, that what's taking place in the realm of men, there's more to it than that. There's more going on than what meets the eye. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes here. And God is ruling from heaven. And these other spiritual beings are part of that rule. All right, so if you fast forward in time from Daniel, not too many years, you land in Zechariah's life. So we've gone from Babylon, the kingdom's now being restored, there are people returned to Jerusalem, they're, they're doing the rebuilding process of Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, so that's where we are in history. And Zechariah is going to have a vision where the veil gets pulled back. In chapter 1 verse 7 he says, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying this, I saw in the night and behold a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen and behind him were red, sorrel and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? It's always good when the prophets join us in our inquiring, right? What on earth does this mean? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. 
So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. All right, again, these are the verses. How many of you guys are, are going, I don't know if I've ever read that passage. You know, spotted horses and red horses and white horses and beings on patrol? Really? This stuff's really happening? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's more going on than what meets the eye. And these presentations, again, they, they, they don't offer a lot of commentary. They just let us know this stuff is happening. I, I don't draw from them that th- this kind of thing was only happening in these moments when it was being reported. It, it, it feels more like we're just getting a chance to glimpse every once in a while. Kind of like, ooh, stick your head up here. Look at that, what's going on. And then a little while later, you get to stick your head up there again and go, ooh, look at that. So the impression is this is the kind of stuff always happening. There are spiritual beings on patrol in the same world that you and I live in. They're doing stuff. Now you've, you've come across this patrol word before. You just didn't, you weren't looking for it. It's found in Job. It's mentioned twice in Job chapter 1 verse 6. So now there was a day when the sons of God, right? So now we're talking again, these beings, these watchers. These messengers, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. That walking up and down word, it's the same word for patrol. As a matter of fact, if you have the King James Version in Zechariah chapter 1, it says, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So apparently in God's activity, the spiritual beings that are called watchers or messengers or angels play some kind of role in participating in the will of God that happens in the world that we live in. And there are moments when these beings come back and stand before the throne of God. And even the fallen angel Satan himself has been found among this gathering in heaven before the throne of God. And God points him out and has a conversation with him. And he too says he's been patrolling the earth too. Does this freak you out a little bit? Make you... Be careful about going into your closet by yourself or something, right? All right, so here's just a reality. While you and I are doing stuff on earth, there's a heavenly thing taking place. It's playing out too, right? And it has everything to do with prayer. This is going to be extremely important. This is a very helpful thought. John Piper comments on Job's response to what's going on in his world. Remember, Job chapter 1, this man goes from an an amazing story with incredible blessing in his life. By the time you get out of the chapter, he's decimated. right? And we're left scratching our heads. John Piper says, all Job's prosperity is gone in one afternoon. What in the world is going on here? 
Well, to see what is going on, we have to look outside the world. This world alone never answers the great questions of life. The answer is found in heaven. So the writer gives us a glimpse into heaven to understand better what is happening on earth. You guys remember Job's situation, right? You and I get to cheat with Job's situation in a way that Job doesn't. So Job is living out day-to-day stuff. He's just doing life, just normal, everyday routine. And he starts getting these reports of all this devastation that's coming upon his, his livestock and his belongings and his family members. He just keeps hearing this stuff. It's you and I who get to cheat and go behind the scenes and know that in the council of heaven... There was a meeting involving one of these watchers, these patrollers who came to God and had a conversation with God. And God made a decision that touches Job's life. See, something happened in heaven that's going to show up on earth. But if you're just Job, right? And most of us are just playing the role of Job. Stuff is happening all around us. And we're just left staring at it going, what? just happened what is what is going on here all right let's let's visit heaven a couple more times here first kings chapter 22 verse 19 so we're at divided kingdom right so you've got the nation of judah and the nation of israel who are are both god's people but they're divided so you have two separate kings um, in these settings and A prophet's going to be called because one of the kings is trying to strategize exactly what he should be doing here. So King Ahab calls for a prophet. He's trying to strategize with the other king, King Jehoshaphat. And the prophet comes and his name is Micaiah. And Micaiah says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heavens standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. I mean, just get this casual stuff. Micaiah has stuck his head up in heaven by God's invitation. And he's checking out this conversation. God sitting on a throne with this giant council meeting of all these watchers that are about to do whatever it is that God's deciding to be done. And he's having a conversation with them. Hey, who will, who will volunteer? Uh, one said one thing, one said another. The Lord said to him, um, verse 21, Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. I mean, can you stop here for a second? Can you see what's about to happen from what just got said right there? This is a sure deal right now. It hasn't happened yet. But there's a sure deal going on here. You are going to prevail. This is what God says. Go ahead. Go and entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Verse 23. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put 
a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. And the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. So this is how Micaiah now is explaining to Ahab. This is about what's about, what's about to go down. Right? I got a chance to peek into heaven. Then let me just let you know what's going to go on. God has decided to release lying prophets among you. And they're going to come give you a report and help you with your strategy. And go have at it, king. That's what he tells him. All right, so we follow the story. We get a little farther into the chapter, verse 29. Now there's a strategy. Ahab's got a plan. He's got his counselors, his prophets, helped him out with some thoughts. And he's constructed a plan. He and Jehoshaphat are going to go up against this other king. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your robes, right? So you dress like the king, I'm going to dress like a commoner. Who's this guy looking out for, right? I just want to make sure nobody mistakes me for being a king. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Is anybody right now chewing their fingernails going, oh, shoot, maybe God's plan's not going to work because he disguised himself. Doggone it. I bet God wasn't anticipating that. Now the king of Aram had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot saying, do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So the king of Aram wants Ahab's head. He wants to kill Ahab. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, ooh, the king, they said, surely it's the king of Israel. And they turned aside to go fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. So Jehoshaphat's safe. But what up with King Ahab, dressed like a common guy, just mixing in with the crowd? Look at verse 34. Now, a certain man, I just love this, some dude drew his bow at random. I don't even know, I mean, what does that mean? He just, you know, let me just shoot this into the crowd. Drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he had the driver of his chariot turn around and take me out of the fight for I'm severely wounded. And the king Ahab is going to die. From a random arrow. From some dude who just inserted himself into the story. Yeah, right. All right, so when you and I see the stuff of earth happening here. And we try to figure out, how's this going to happen? How's something going to come to pass? How can my situation get worked out? How can God's will here, you know, these people, I mean, you got all, Ahab's one of the worst kings in the Bible. And he's going to, quote, dodge God's plan here and disguise himself. And by accident, by chance, A random arrow just happens to find its way through a joint in his armor. All right, this is is God letting you know, hey, my people, I'm telling you this story because I'm in the details. I got this. But do you understand why this comes to pass on earth? Because it was already done in heaven. Remember when Jesus said in his prayer closet last week we learned from Jesus, I, I just do the things I see my father doing. I think Jesus had access 
in his prayer closet to these kinds of understandings that there are things happening in heaven that are going to play out on earth next. But for you and I to realize these things are happening in heaven. The things that happen around our lives, they have a heavenly dimension to them that we need to be aware of if we're going to, if we're going to pray, if we're going to have a will to pray. I'm going to go back to Zechariah here. Chapter 6, verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? I just appreciate Zechariah. He and I could hang out. Got a lot of questions, not getting it. And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Are you getting the idea that there's this common thing going on in heaven where God meets with these council of the holy ones and these watchers and decisions get made? Do you get this impression that they're going to get dispatched somehow under God's leadership. These, no, 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 no. Verse 6. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white one goes after them. The dapple ones go toward the south. When the strong horses came up, they were impatient to go and patrol earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. All right, so do you get a little bit of a heavenly perspective here that God is managing the affairs of earth? He's actively involved. He's making decisions. There are spiritual beings that are involved in this thing playing out before it gets to here. And there's not a lot of detail about this stuff, right? But we're supposed to be informed about this. We are not supposed to be a people who think the only thing going on is what my eye can see. The only players in this are me and the person I'm in conflict with and oh man, that other person over there. That's all that's happening right here. I just need to amass an argument. I need to get some resources. I need to fight this thing out at this level with this person in this way at that time. See, that screams, I'm thinking the only thing going on right here is what I can see with my eyes and the people that I can see involved. It screams, I'm ignorant, that there's more going on than what meets the eye. But the Bible is pretty clear. There is more going on than what meets the eye. Right? Hebrews 1 grabs all these little thoughts. Right? This is, you know, we, always, we all know this verse. This is a verse we know. But this is why this verse says what it says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now that verse we know, right? We're just not as familiar with Daniel and Zechariah's perspective or that weird meeting with Micaiah that happened about King Ahab. But that's what that verse means, that you and I are to be mindful that there are spiritual beings that God directs traffic over and sends them into our world to patrol and to accomplish his will 
on our behalf. And what does that mean for our prayer closets? Well, interesting. Let's visit Daniel in his prayer closet. A couple of insights from Daniel first, just about how he prayed. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Where there's, there's a decree going on. Remember, Daniel lives in Babylon. Right? So he's not in the promised land. He's, he's been taken into exile. So he lives in Babylon under the authority and the rulership of heathen kings like Nebuchadnezzar and others who make up the rules. And so a rule has been made that no one is allowed to pursue counsel or leadership from any god except the king. That got written into law. And that's what this is referring to. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So... Prayer closet help, right? We're looking for materials, some building materials here. So what what can I take from Daniel's prayer closet and and put it in my resource bag and say, I'm going to build something like that? Well, Well, notice he's got something similar to what Jesus had. He's got a roof chamber, a separate place. And he's got windows open towards Jerusalem. Now, now, again, when you read the Bible, be careful that you don't turn descriptive things into prescriptive things. So I don't think you need to go install windows in your house that faint towards Jerusalem. Because that's what makes your prayer something. But I, I think it's interesting uh, that he had that sense because he understood that the house of God was a house of prayer. And that God's ears were open Toward this place is the language that Solomon dedicated the house of prayer from. And so he grabbed hold of that revelation. And though he was in exile in Babylon, he turned himself in faith to that house of prayer when he prayed. Because God, I know you listen there. and I, I want you to listen to me. And he would get alone. And when he'd get alone, what was he doing when he got alone? Well, you know, you don't get a lot. Although with Daniel, you actually do to get a significant amount of the content of Daniel's prayers. So it's worth you going back. And again, this is just help for you. If you're saying this week, I'm going to do some study. And last week, I hope you took all of Jesus' prayer life and looked at it carefully. Got in your prayer closet and thought about the things that he was after. And you go after those things too. Well, look at some of Daniel's content here. You'll, you'll find a little bit there in chapter 6. But look at the words. He was kneeling. You want to to grab that one? You get your prayer closet. Want to kneel? You want to do something physical? Well, okay, that's you can do that. You don't you don't have to do that, but you can do that. Get on your knees before God. He was praying. He was giving thanks. So even though he's in exile, even though a decree just got signed that's going to put him in serious trouble when they find out he ignored it and kept praying. He gives thanks to God. He is petitioning and he's bringing supplications to God. So so I'm getting educated. What's the content of a prayer life going to be like? And he gives me some good stuff here. And then you fast forward to Daniel chapter 9. It says this. Chapter 9 verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king, 
over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what's he doing there? He's reading his Bible. Right? That's, that's helpful, isn't it? There, there's about to be a massive amount of Daniel's prayer that gets derived from what he read in the Bible. So I'm going to climb into my prayer closet. Uh, this Bible is going to have a massive influence over what I pray, over the values that I seek, over informing me on how to pray. And that's exactly what happens with Daniel. He sees Jeremiah's prophecy from years earlier written down explaining that God has decreed that there would be 70 years that the land would rest and you would be away from the land in exile. All right, so he's got a revelation from God. Now watch what happens. So, verse 3, I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Lesson from Daniel. I mean, again, we're learning how to get in our prayer closet from these guys. So Daniel's going to take his Bible, and he's going to be a student of it, and God is going to give him insight into what's going to happen in the kingdom of God. Daniel then is going to recognize where they are, and, and his heart gets under the weight that demands, calls on, gives birth to confession from his lips. If you read the rest of chapter 9, it is a lengthy confession before God about the condition of the people. And you know, I wanted to, to do something more with that. Let me just highlight this. Well, you know, I, I love this about Daniel I see it in Isaiah and the way in which Isaiah identified his own ministry set amongst God's people. When you read Daniel in this moment and you hear this from Isaiah, remember Isaiah is the one who who recognizes his calling and he cries out to God because he is a man of unclean lips and he is set amongst a people of unclean lips. So he gets this righteous assignment and he recognizes he's just like everybody else. They're of unclean lips. I'm of unclean lips. Daniel does the same thing here. Now, if you've read the book of Daniel, my, you know, I almost want to sit down with Daniel and go, come on, man. That's not sincere. That's not real. You're the one guy that that doesn't describe. The one guy in Babylon who's living righteously, who puts his life on the line, who lives for the glory of God, who won't put himself in compromising situations, who refuses to disobey and dishonor God in order to fit in in the land. You're the one guy who won't do that. But when you hear him confess, you'd think he had sinned just like everybody else. 
You know what he doesn't do? And I hope the Lord never replays some of my prayers back to me. He doesn't, he doesn't intercede for others from some lofty position like he's not a sinner himself. Right? Sometimes when we're tempted, kind of like you know, Jesus' disciples, wanted, they wanted to call down fire on people because these people were stupid. They don't get, you want me to call down fire? It's like, oh. no, no. <laughs> Daniel doesn't have this attitude like, what in the world is wrong with these people? God! And like, he's like this really passionate, holy guy because he's got passion for people who aren't getting it. They need to get it. He, he, he's right with them. Lord, we, I, fall short of your glory. Listen, take a lesson from that. When you've got people you're interceding for, people whose lives are messed up, you know, your, your drug addict relative who's wrecking everybody's world, the person close to you who's so stinking selfish that they're just annihilating anything that's precious in your relationship with them. All right, those are the kind of people that tempt you to pray in a way that doesn't sound like Daniel. Right? But to recognize, God, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I, I got my issues just like they got their issues, God. And he comes in confession. right? So confession. Right? Question. When was the last time you stood before God in your prayer closet and confessed things to God? That you actually were reminded during the day and you're going to have your prayer time that night. You made a note maybe of something sinful in your attitude that has popped up again. Here you are again. I've done that again. Do you have a significant place in your prayer closet that has room for apology, sadness, godly sorrow over sins that have been committed in our lives? I'm I'm fearful that that we live in a time that that's being lost. We live in a time where God owes us. God owes us stuff. And so when we get a chance to pray, first thing we want to do is find, you know, where's the complaint desk? Because this is taking way too long and it's not even what I want. And then we're going to take God to task over it. But where's the place where we recognize we are sinful, self-absorbed, hostile Stealers who just steal from God everything we can get our hands on for our own purposes to come before God humbly and to recognize God. God, I need, I need to confess this again, this area again in my life. Lord, I am grieved over it. I know it's displeasing to you. Listen, if anything in you right now is going, you know, well, why? Why would I want to get? My, why would I want to get, build a prayer closet and spend that kind of time? And that sounds like fun. Um, I, I, I've got no cheap ad for that. Oh well, if you do, you'll feel this. It's just right. It's just the right posture for fallen human beings to stand before a perfect God with an awareness that there's some distance here, that there's something about my life that's distasteful. Now, at the same time, if you've read your Bible very far, you know you are covered in the blood of Christ. So you get this amazing good news wrapped up around this really awkward feeling self-acknowledgement. 
But if you don't know anything about the covering, you're never going to go here. You're never going to confess anything. But listen, if your prayer closet doesn't have significant times of confession in it, you need to go rebuild that thing, right? There's something missing from a prayer closet. Now, look at this last point here. Daniel's earthly prayers impacted heavenly realities. And this is what draws me to Daniel. This encounter right here, and all this other stuff was background, just for us to get to this moment right here. So Daniel chapter 10, we get to visit another moment in the prayer closet of this man named Daniel. Verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So this is another setting, another king. A message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true. And one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Now in those days, I, Daniel had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that's the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. So he's going to meet a watcher. He's going to meet a a messenger. He's going to have an exchange with Daniel. But here's just some normal stuff going on in Daniel's life. There would be moments for Daniel where he would set aside... You know, we already saw his prayer life involved three times a day, three times a day. He, was, he had times throughout his day where he intentionally disconnected from other things and turned to God. But then he had extended times where he did that as well. All right, so if you're looking for lessons on prayer clauses, Daniel apparently reads from the same book that Jesus read from. When you go to have a prayer closet, Jesus, remember we found Jesus last week. In the morning, he would disappear from everybody and he'd go off by himself. And then sometimes at night, he would disappear and go off. Sometimes it'd be all night in prayer. Sometimes it'd just be extended times. And then we also found him last week, 40 days in the wilderness, praying, fasting, getting alone with God. Now here's Daniel, 21 days, doing the same exact thing. This, this screams to us. If you want a normal prayer closet... It has regularity, and then it has extended times where we get aside with God for an extended period of time, and we interact with Him. So when you go to draw up your blueprint for what you want your prayer closet to look like, think in both areas. I want regular times. God, I want daily encounters with you that I've set aside for prayer, but then I'm going to need some other special times where I might might take days to visit with you about something. I, I might go away. Just and get with God and be by myself uh, for a period just to be alone with the Lord. All right, so fast forward. Daniel chapter 10, you fast forward into verse 10. Then behold, all right, so we have this, this being who's come to visit Daniel. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. Well, who sent him? Well, it was one of those council meetings where God got everybody together. And I don't know what that one looked like. Hey, who wants to go? And somebody stood forward. I mean, we've, we've seen behind the scenes here. 
God is sending these beings into the earth to direct the traffic of what's happening in our lives. Where did I leave off? Verse 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. Right? So from the first day, Daniel pulls himself aside in prayer. It's 21 days by this river. He's hanging out. He's got a little fire going at night. He's just by himself, walking up and down, not eating. I'm sure he's drinking something. Just, you know, nothing fancy going on. He's simplified his life day after day after day after day. You know, does day seven feel like, am I wasting my time? Is there anything going on here? Day 8, day 12, day 17. Right, some of us are like, uh, let's talk minute 17. Um, I think at minute 17, I'd kind of be like, okay, apparently God's not visiting me tonight. (laughs) I'm done with this prayer time with God, but I'll be back. God, thanks. All right, this guy's day 17, 18, 19, day 21. Here comes something. But here's the insight that you and I cannot miss because we get to cheat in this story and we know that there's something going on in heaven. But what the being tells Daniel is, is Daniel, this got started when you started praying 21 days ago. You didn't see squat. But there was something happening all the time. From the moment you humbled yourself Because you needed God and you looked to him and you put words to that. Your words were heard 21 days ago. And then he explains, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now, I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. All right, there's an explanation that you and I may never ever get, but Daniel got it. Which, remember, Job never got the explanation. He never got aware of the meeting that had taken place that arranged all this. Daniel does. Daniel gets told, you prayed, but, but Daniel, here's what you don't understand. While you were just walking up and down the edge of the river, burning a fire, wondering whether God was hearing anything, there was this movement in the heavens between these angelic beings pushing on each other and fighting each other and resisting one another, that God was responding to you the moment you prayed. I don't know about you, but that's extremely helpful for me to climb in my prayer closet. Because I know my prayer closet can feel like a space where nothing's happening right here. I don't, I don't feel the presence of God. I don't sense God's nearness. There's, there's no fireworks going on. I'm not tingling. I mean, I just, I, I'm just me and some words floating up into nowhere. Me and words. Me and some words. It's helpful for me to know 
That my words are going up before some council before God where God is dispatching and doing things and accomplishing his will. And from the moment those prayers get prayed, something's happening in heaven. That's, I'm grateful for Daniel here to let me know that. Even if God never shows me what was happening. That we began to pray about something that took weeks, months, years. It's just 21 days, but who knows how long something might take. And yet you're engaging that in prayer. There's something to be learned here. There's something to be learned here in in the be safe to the Bible category as well. Um... I mentioned this in the class this morning. Yeah, I just I find it interesting that you know these are one of those few locations where we find out one of these behind the scenes stories. We find out there are these watchers, patrolmen, spiritual beings that are patrolling the earth, and we even get a few of their names here, right? And God just doesn't choose to talk about this stuff in detail to us. There's not a lot more than what we're talking about today. That's going to let you behind the scenes to see this because God doesn't provide a whole lot more. And I just find it curious. I was telling the class this morning, I was just doing some reading yesterday. And I'm, you know, I'm reading in Ezra and Nehemiah and everybody who returned from Babylon to Jerusalem is on a log. They're named. This guy and his sons and this guy and this and this, this is how many came from this clan. All of their names, they returned to Jerusalem. And then 10% of them settled in the, in the towns around there. Then Nehemiah has a long, lengthy, uh, on the wall, this guy worked with a trial and a sword, and, and his name was blah, 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 and next to him was blah, 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 and next to him was blah, blah, blah. And yet pages of names. And then there's these angelic host of beings, and we get like three or four names in the whole Bible. Why do I need to know Fred and Sam and Jacob and names I can't pronounce from way back then? And you're not going to tell me more about these guys? These guys are messing with my business. Don't I need to know a little bit more about them? All right, so this is where I'd be really careful in the, in the charismatic world. Um, it's interesting to ponder Daniel's prayer life in this moment. Because he is, and the Bible reveals this, he's interacting with heavenly beings. But he's, he's not interacting with heavenly beings. If you get what I'm saying. How many of you guys you've been raised on, and I'm, I'm partially going to criticize this because I don't know. And you need to hold some of these things like you don't know either. Right, so I don't hear Daniel here binding and loosening anything. Right? I mean, some of us were raised on that. We were raised to bind certain spirits and loose certain spirits. And we get a little bit of that from this kind of stuff. Apparently, there's you know, the prince of Persia. He's on the loose. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a prince of Gentili. Prince of Chalmet. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of princes out there. I don't know for sure, but let's just assume there are. And maybe I want to bind a few of those guys. And, you know, and so you start making up. Well, how do you do that exactly? You know, you stand on one foot, you, you know, you say things three times in a row, you, you use this phrase, this formula, this terminology. Can I just tell you, you can't find anybody in the Bible to help you with that. But when you climb in the prayer closet of Daniel, there's a war in the heaven that he is causing with his words before God. But when I stare at his prayer life, he looks like he prays like you and me. 
He doesn't look like he's got a magic formula that he's binding and loosing. And he just looks like he's petitioning. He's supplicating God. He's giving thanks. He's on his knees. He's reading the Bible and praying from Jeremiah. He looks like he could be in one of our prayer meetings. But what we get to find out is there's like this Star Wars event going on in the heavenly realm while he's just doing normal stuff. So listen, you don't have to, uh, you know, carefully say this. I'm grateful for people to try to help us with insight, teach, write decent books. Uh, I, I don't think you need to learn some magic formula of prayer and get in your prayer closet and find, you know, like you're going to direct heavenly traffic. You know, I don't find Daniel calling forth the, <clears throat> bring Michael as a backup to face the prince of Persia. I decree it. Let's all join together, church. Let's call. I, I, I just don't see that here. Do you see that here? But that's happening here, isn't it? Michael is going to get sent by God into this battle in support of what he's doing against this principality that's opposing things. So listen, we are engaging heavenly realities. We just may not be doing it by the way in which some of the books teach us. I think you're doing it when you just get on your knees, when you petition God, when your will is overcome by his will, when you look and you recognize, God, there's an earthly reality that is in submission to a heavenly reality. I know that's true, and I'm praying about that becoming this. All right, now that's, that's how the New Testament sounds, right? Remember Jesus telling people, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he said, here's a model for prayer. Call it the Our Father. Remember this little phrase? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever wondered what that meant? Is it a little more clear to you today what it means? There's stuff going on in heaven. There's a will in heaven. There's decisions that have been made in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples, pray for that will to take place here. And what's interesting here, theologically, is no one gets to say, well, if it's his will in heaven, it'll it'll happen. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel read God's will. He knew it was 70 years and that inspired him to pray. That's what launched him into his prayer closet. So when you know something is God's heavenly will, it should cause you to pray, not assume, well, that'll happen because it's God's will. That's not what Jesus taught his disciples. Remember that phrase? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys go back and look at this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. You remember this? This is a curious little phrase in this passage. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. There was a decision made in heaven and Nebuchadnezzar was going to live in that decision. And Jesus taught his disciples, pray for that decision to become this reality. Right? This, is, this is what our prayer lines are doing. Right? So one more verse here. Ephesians chapter 6. We know this verse, but I think this verse comes in living color after the verses that we've just stared into. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Eric, you can come back up here. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, now, after reading what we've just read, does that, does that verse dance a little bit for you? There's something going on amongst these watchers and amongst a spiritual dimension that you and I don't merely wrestle with what we see. There's more to life than what meets the eye. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. In verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's what Daniel was doing. That's how we can learn in our own prayer closet that there are things in the kingdom of God that all we're called to do is participate in them by prayer. Keep praying, persevere, make supplication, Paul said, because you're wrestling with heavenly realities, even if you don't see them or fully understand what they're doing. You are engaging them as you pray. Listen, this is, this is helpful to rescue my prayer closet from a place that feels like there's nothing happening here. Oh yeah, there is. There's an amazing amount of things happening here. You are displacing things. You are ushering in God's will and God's purpose as we seek him. And this is how God's designed his kingdom for whatever reason. This is how he's designed his kingdom. So for you and I to jettison this from our lives, it just shouldn't be a reality like that. The kingdom of God is not invited to decide, well, God, you know, you got this will in heaven, will on earth thing. You work that out on your own. No, Jesus, no, you pray. You pray and you ask God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's a charge given to us in what we do when we pray. All right, one last thought from Mr. Charles Spurgeon. This last quote, he says, For the comfort of God's people, we have not only Christ engaged, but we see the whole angelic host ready to do us service. Observe that behind the man on the red horse was a company of horses. The church of God has the angels of heaven to be her protectors. He gives them a charge and girds them with his own power. Zeal quickens every step of these burning ones. Standing with wings outstretched, they wait upon the divine will. And when the command is given, no eagle cleaves the air so swiftly as these holy ones. They appear to be of different sorts. There are those who are commissioned for vengeance. These ride upon the red horses of God's tremendous wrath. Then there are those on the white horses that come to bless God's saints. Was it not such a spirit that delivered Peter from prison and cheered the heart of Paul in the stormy night? Who knows how often they strengthen the faint, comfort the brokenhearted. They are ever ascending and descending upon the ladder which Jacob saw. Some come to curse the wicked, but as many come to bless the righteous. What part do angels take in the protection of the church? I suppose it would be very difficult to describe precisely how they act. 
but they do work for us in most, is most certainly a scriptural doctrine. They are represented as guarding the Lord's people. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him. Have we not some reason to believe that angels inject comforting thoughts into our minds? When Christ was in the garden, they appeared unto him, an angel strengthening him. May it not be that those who warm thoughts which come welling up in our minds, as we think spontaneously, have been suggested by angels. We're prone to ascribe our temptations to the devil. How is it we do not ascribe some of these, our excellent comforts, to the work of angels? Are those bad spirits to have the monopoly of dealing with us? Are they to be the only spiritual agents? God forbid. May it not be that bright angelic squadrons are holding strange fights with hosts of demons while the word is preached, contending for and against that glorious truth which is the power of God unto salvation. We know not what spiritual agencies are continually at work. But that they are at work is clear enough in the word of God. Is it not? Let's stand up together. Uh, Lord, we have gathered here this morning... To hear a very helpful reminder that there's more to our lives than what meets the eye. There's a dimension of spiritual activity it ultimately has say so it ultimately prevails not just a matter of our human will our human exertion our creativity our efforts when you are moving from heaven you are dispatching power through the beings that you've created in us through the power of your holy spirit there is an unseen resource and reality for our lives Lord, teach us to get plugged into that reality. Teach us to have place in our lives where we are engaging you who are running things in this world. There may be some of you here this morning. You're here. You're not normally here. This is not a usual church for you to be in. But you're here this morning, not by accident, but by God's design. So that you could hear there's more to your life than what meets the eye. There's more. When God created you, he created an unseen dimension that's as important as anything about you. 
It's not just about your smarts. It's not just about your money. It's not just about your status in life or who you know or how well networked you are, how educated you are. There's more to life than those things. There's an unseen dimension in your life. You know, you're here this morning. God brought you here, right? Did you see that in these passages? The God who is not seen is directing things in this world. And you're here because God got you here. And you think you came just because you chose to come. Well, that's what everybody thinks. Guy who shot the arrow, remember him? He just thought he was shooting an arrow. No. He was launching God's purpose to do exactly what God had planned. And, And so you're here because God's directing traffic in your life and you sat here this morning you you heard about this unseen world you heard stories from that tank up there about people who came to a place in their life where they responded to this invisible God with their life and they gave their life to him maybe that's why you're here this morning maybe you're here this morning to give your life back to God to recognize that all the work, all the struggle, all the striving, everything you've been trying to accomplish and do in your life, all the things you're afraid of, all the fears you bring with you. And God is here. And he loves you. And he, he wants your life. He wants you to give your life back to him. He created it. He has great purposes for it. And this morning... He's reaching out to you to willingly give it back to him. Would you want to do that? Would you want to give your life to the one who created it this morning? It's a profound thing. It's a massively huge thing. But it's a simple thing. It's something you do by faith. Here's what you absolutely need to know. You can't get right with God without what Jesus Christ did for you. He laid his life down to take your punishment and the death that we all deserve to offer forgiveness to anybody who will receive it from him. Jesus Christ this morning offers you forgiveness and that forgiveness will let you be returned to God. Do you want that? You can sit here this morning and say, yeah, yeah, I do. Well, this is where it gets really simple. You just tell God that. That's what prayer is. It's prayer closets. It's just a, it's a conversation with God. It's an exchange with God. So I, I'm going to pray for us. And maybe I'm going to express some words that maybe would help you in this category. And if you'd like to do what I'm describing and your heart says, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to say to God. Well, then you say it to God. Let's bow our heads together. God, I thank you that you brought me here this morning. That you know everything going on in my life. That you love me. And you have more for me. This morning I want that. I want the life you want for me. So God, first I just want to ask for your forgiveness. I've, I've done life my own way with my own ideas. I know I've sinned and fallen short of what you wanted for my life. But I'm here and I can be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did in my place. He laid his life down for me. So this morning, Lord, I ask you, would you forgive me because of what Jesus Christ did? 
And Lord, I want to give my life back to you. You created it and you had a purpose for it. And rather than me live another day for my purpose, God, this morning, I want to give my life back to you. I want to live for more than what meets my eye. I want to find all that you had for me. So Lord, would you lead me from this day onward? This morning, I give my life to you. I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you're here this morning, you prayed that for the first time, you know what would be really a blessing for me to know is that you did that this morning for the first time. So if you just, before you walk out the back door, if you just walk up here, I won't take forever and talk with you. I'll introduce myself if I've never met you. And you can just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I just wanted you to know. That would be a blessing to me to know that. The rest of you guys are dismissed to go. Build your prayer closets. Go.